0: From the newsroom of The Washington Post. Hi, this is Vanessa Williams from The Washington Post. I'm hey, it's Philip Rucker at The Washington Post. Do you have a minute? Hi, this is Dan Zach from The Post. This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Tuesday, December 10th. Today, the proposed charges against the president. The bacteria decimating orange trees in Florida— and gaming with a disability.
1: Today, in service to our duty to the Constitution and to our country, the House Committee on the Judiciary is introducing two articles of impeachment charging the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, with committing high crimes and misdemeanors.
2: Democrats announced that they are bringing two articles of impeachment against President Trump.
0: Aaron Blake writes about politics for The Fix.
1: The first article is for abuse of power. It is an impeachable offense for the president to exercise the powers of his public office to obtain an improper personal benefit while ignoring or injuring the national interest.
2: The first article is abuse of power, basically the idea that the president was soliciting a foreign government to provide politically helpful investigations and that he was withholding official government things like a meeting and like military aid in order to pressure them to launch those investigations.
1: When the House investigated and opened an impeachment inquiry, President Trump engaged in unprecedented, categorical, and indiscriminate defiance of the impeachment inquiry. This gives rise to the second article of impeachment for obstruction of Congress.
2: The second article is an obstruction of Congress. Basically, the president throwing up a stone wall against all subpoenas, against key witnesses testifying, against turning over documents and arguing that this is an unprecedented move by the president to not cooperate with the rightful uh, ability of Congress to conduct oversight and potentially impeach the president of the United States.
1: A president who declares himself above accountability, above the American people, and above Congress's power of impeachment, which is meant to protect against threats to our democratic institutions, is a president who sees himself as above the law. We must be clear, no one, not even the president, is above the law.
2: The ones they brought are actually a little bit narrower than uh, we thought they might have been. Uh, There is no mention of the word bribery. There is no mention of obstruction of justice in the Russia investigation. They're keeping this very focused on the Ukraine investigation and matters related to that.
0: So why do you think the Democrats went with this more narrow approach rather than bringing up charges like bribery or obstruction of justice?
2: The idea is to keep it focused on Ukraine and maybe not get bogged down in more legal minutiae once you bring up the topics of bribery, once you bring up obstruction of justice from the Mueller investigation, they may be put in the position of trying to satisfy statutory requirements that those crimes carry. You know, I think especially with the obstruction of justice portion, it was also complicated by the fact that Robert Mueller decided not to accuse the president. He decided not to reach any conclusions about that because a president according to Justice Department guidelines cannot be indicted. But then The Attorney General, William Barr, decided to clear the president of obstruction. So basically they would be bringing a charge against the president that the Justice Department has said does not hold up. And that was a little bit more difficult.
0: And it seemed like Democrats really just wanted to limit the borders of this and make it as simple as possible. For the idea of bribery, which they didn't ultimately charge the president with, that's something that has an actual criminal statute of bribery that you can convict people on that they would have had to prove. And it seems like with this approach, having something like abusive power, it's much vaguer, it's much softer. Different people can define abusive power in different ways. And so they have a little bit more latitude.
2: Yeah, and it's kind of a double-edged sword. On the one hand, yes, if they were to accuse the president of bribery, they might have to satisfy the legal requirements, although constitutional scholars don't necessarily agree with that given that there was actually no bribery statute when the Constitution was drafted. At the same time, it does help crystallize the argument a little bit better. What does abuse of power mean to your average person? Abusive power is something that is rather subjective. High crimes and misdemeanors, which is what the Democrats have gone with here, is also pretty subjective. Bribery, though, is a concept that people understand. And I think sometimes in these situations, the idea is that you want to simplify it as much as you can. And if Democrats were arguing over and over again that the president bribed a foreign government, that's something that maybe could stick a little bit more, even as the burden of proof might be increased slightly in the end.
0: So how has the president responded to this so far? And also, what have we seen from Republicans in Congress?
2: Well, the president, basically, his argument is that this was a preordained outcome that Democrats basically tried to make the evidence fit their preordained outcome. Republicans in Congress are very much on board with that.
3: I don't care if you think Americans who support President Trump are deplorables— But you do not have the right to disqualify their vote just because you do not like President Trump.
2: House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy was talking Tuesday morning about the idea that the Democrats have been out to get the president from the very beginning.
3: They would lie and they would continue to lie just because they dislike this president. But the way they have handled this from the very beginning, I know they set a timeline and they wanted to keep their timeline. They just never paid attention to the facts. So they changed the rules to meet their timeline.
2: We're seeing them make lots of process arguments that there is actually no crime. That is going to be a key argument here, especially now that there is no bribery. There is no obstruction of justice in these articles. So, no,
3: it is not difficult to defend this president, but it is very difficult to defend this Congress on what they have done, and history will not be kind to them. This was also
0: something of an interesting, kind of bizarre day for Democrats to be announcing these proposed charges against the president because they, at the same time, have now just struck a deal with Republicans on the new NAFTA, a trade deal with the U.S., Mexico, and, and Canada, which is something that President Trump has been fighting for. So it's kind of a win for Republicans, and it seems pretty weird that This morning, they're both talking about trying to remove the president from office, but also giving him a pretty big win.
4: This is a transformative agreement. It's a template, I believe, for future
2: agreements. Literally within one hour of one another, there was the impeachment press conference at 9 a.m. And then they had the USMCA, also known as New NAFTA, at 10 a.m.
4: But this is more than a triumph for organized labor. It's a triumph for workers everywhere across America.
2: It is an interesting split screen giving the president what he will hail as one of his chief accomplishments as president on the same day you're saying he is an illegitimate president, that he should be impeached and removed from office. Democrats have been pretty close on USMCA for a while. It's not like this came out of nowhere. They just kind of had to get over the hill. There's also a recognition that. What is contained in the new trade deal is not significantly different from what we had with NAFTA. It kind of changes things around the edges a little bit. And so maybe Democrats reason that they can argue this isn't a huge game-changing accomplishment by the president because it's not all that different from what we have. The other thing I think that Democrats are going to point out is and hope that this achieves is that it takes off the argument that they are just so consumed by impeachment that they are not governing at all. To the extent Republicans are going to argue Democrats are just not actually working in Congress, they can say, look, we just passed President Trump's trade deal. Clearly, we are not just standing in the way of everything he does because we hate the guy.
0: So what is going to happen next on impeachment?
2: Well, the House Judiciary Committee is charged with taking up these articles and debating them. They could still be subject to change. There will be a debate on that committee about the wording of specific articles. And then the Judiciary Committee votes on these, which will likely be a party line vote. They will go to the broader House, which is slated to vote next week. And then at that point, the whole process goes to the Senate, which actually holds the trial of the president. The chief justice of the Supreme Court presides over it. And at that point, two-thirds of senators, which would be all Democrats and 20 Republicans, would need to vote in favor of removing the president from office.
0: And there's basically no chance that that's going to happen, right? The idea of 20 Republican senators switching sides seems somewhat far-fetched.
2: Yeah. And I don't think that Democrats... House Democrats, when they launched this process, really had any illusions that that was ever going to be the case. Polarization is so strong. We really haven't seen much of a crack in uh, the president's support on impeachment. There may be a couple senators that'll make this interesting. Mitt Romney, Ben Sass, Susan Collins, who's up for reelection. You know, if a couple of them vote against the president, would that be seen as a significant moment in his reelection campaign? I don't know. But to say that an impeachment process is about the election is an argument that Republicans are making. But it's not altogether wrong. I think that Democrats were wary of this process initially because they worried it might help the president in what's looking like a difficult reelection race. They eventually came around to it when I think they decided that at least it wouldn't hurt their chances of defeating him in 2020. And maybe if they get some new evidence or they get a couple Republicans voting to remove him from office, they can use that as an argument to say, look, this is so bad that even these Republicans thought that he is not worthy of being president of the United States.
0: Well, I guess we'll see if that'll happen. We will. Aaron, thank you so much. Thank you. Aaron Blake writes about politics for The Fix. Word on the street is that you are from Florida. I am. I'm also from Florida. No
5: way. I grew up in St. Petersburg, and so uh, walking home from school, in every grade I can imagine, I would walk. And every, what... Ten yards or so, I'd encounter an orange tree, and I would just pick an orange sometimes and just peel it and eat it on the way home. And those are my best memories of Florida.
0: Just because there were so many oranges everywhere that you could just go into a random yard, grab an orange, and, and, and eat it. It was amazing.
5: I mean, I, and I was aware that other people couldn't do this, and so I felt special. The beach and oranges.
0: This is Daryl Fierce. He covers the environment and wildlife for The Post. And recently, he went back to Florida to report on the state's oranges.
5: Oranges are not doing very well.
4: Yeah, 109 uh, uh, bin, 9 box bins out of here.
5: The first thing I did when I got to Florida was to go to Edessa to visit the CB Citrus Emporium, which is right outside of Tampa. So now we are outdoors in the grove, and... Ken Birchanel is going to give me a tour uh, of some of the trees. I just just wanted to point out the one you can
4: look. This is one of our sickest blocks. So all these have have greening. and You can see some of them are just full-on dead. Other ones look like crap. And then, you know, right next to them, you'll see a tree that looks perfectly fine. Now, they're all sick. Mm -hmm. And they're all...
5: I visited this place that was started by a former real estate developer named Bill Birchanel. And Bill was just this industrious guy whose dream was to have a just a giant orange grove. It's the middle of a swamp, and he managed to take a few, like, very small, skinny orange trees and grow a 300-acre grove. And he died in 2016. Will that farm to his son, William Kennedy Birchinell, and his grandson? And these guys are now watching his dream go to ruin.
4: Out of here, maybe five yeah. to ten.
5: So yeah. we're walking I mean, through uh, the grove, and know. I'm looking at trees that a line of trees, some have leaves on them, but a long line of them are just limbs without leaves, brown looking sickly, uh, a row of dead trees. They are presiding over dying trees and sickly trees where the leaves are deformed, watching this go to waste.
0: Why aren't they doing well?
5: There is a disease that scientists liken to HIV. And in fact, it has an HIV-like name. It's called HLB, short for Wanglongbing, which is a disease that originated in China, has infected 90% of every citrus orchard in Florida.
0: And so how did this orange disease end up in Florida?
5: The way diseases end up in the United States from all over the world. Invasive species um, trade. This bacteria probably came from some type of tree clipping. This is what the scientists say, from China. So people love to bring these clippings from their favorite plants, from places they're not supposed to, but they sneak them on board in luggage anyway, and they do it. And so they speculate that someone did this, probably in the uh, Delray Beach area.
0: And now this disease has spread pretty massively throughout the state.
5: It has, and it has spread in the most amazing way. It's just like nature or anti-nature. So before this disease, Wang being got there, uh, there was this very small gnat-sized insect called the citrus psyllid. And this citrus psyllid feeds on the leaves of citrus trees. So when it, whenever this psyllid encountered a tree with this bacteria or a leaf with this bacteria, it sucked it into its gut. And that psyllid or insect took the bacteria to the next tree. And when it sucked on that leaf, it transferred the bacteria.
0: So the combination of this disease and then this insect has made this not only incredibly harmful orange disease, but uh, one that can spread really quickly.
5: This insect is the uber for disease.
0: And at this point, how many orange trees have been affected and how has this affected the the orange industry in Florida?
5: orange trees all over the state are dying Just look how little and how you know
4: yellow that is and how curly all the leaves around that little piece of fruit that 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 limb is just it's just too sick <clears throat> but there's other trees the ones that we're we're actively harvesting you know uh in other parts of the grove or you know they're doing okay they're sick but they're doing okay
5: this CB's farm has been devastated.
4: People coming on uh, on the property all the time saying, you got a gold mine here. And it's like, well, show me where to dig. You know, because, yeah, if I knew how to grow hops, sure, I could sell hops all, of, all over, but we're not, you know, that's not what we We do, we'd have to relearn that whole, that whole business. Would you ever sell? Yeah, well, there's, there's a for sale sign outside right now, you know, but we don't want to do that. You know, we just, we're, we're, we're talking to, uh, we would love to, you know, if somebody came in, like I was just saying, if somebody came in here and said, hey, I want to grow hemp, and this is how we're going to do it, and well, it's a joint venture, I would, you know, we would talk to anybody about anything.
5: We would pass rows and rows of dead trees and sick trees, trees with fruit hanging on them that were beautiful and green, but would probably never turn orange because of this disease. This part fascinated me. So HLB, when it affects a tree, it goes to the tree's roots and it begins to disfigure and deform the tree's roots so that the tree cannot suck the nutrients from the earth that it normally does. And because it can't suck the nutrients from the earth that it normally does, water, food, whatever it uses, is starved. And so oranges grow by sucking nutrients and water from the tree. And so the tree, unable to feed as it normally does, says, I'm not surviving right now. And these oranges, they're leaching off of all my nutrients. I'm going to let them go. I'm going to let them go and maybe I'll grow them next season. But I can't survive with these things on me right now.
0: And so it basically abandons all these unripe fruit and just drops them all in one go.
5: Goodbye.
0: And for orange farmers there, what is it like for them to see this disease come in and to have these moments where all of their oranges are staying green and then dropping to the floor all at once without ever ripening?
5: When this disease was first discovered in 2005, there were something like 7,300 citrus growers in Florida. There are now about 2,700. So about 5,000 of these farmers have gone out of business.
0: The majority of them have gone out of business. The vast majority. And for those who are still trying to make it, I mean, I imagine that they must just live in fear of this disease coming to their orange grove.
5: So the silver lining in this story is this bunker of laboratories run by the University of Florida. It's called the Citrus Research and Education Center in Lake Alfred, Florida. So, uh about 30 miles south of Disney World in the middle of nowhere is this bunker laboratory and there these people are inventing these scientists in lab coats are inventing a new type of orange or several dozens of varieties of new oranges that are disease tolerant so that the, the and they're they're taking the roots Of trees and re-engineering them, uh, genetically altering them, not in a GMO type of way, but in a sort of more natural type of way, to make a stronger a tree that can resist the disease. They have these names like the the sugar bill and the Ali Lee late, and those oranges are gonna replace if they are successful, they're still in experimentation, the oranges that we use, they're a sweeter variety. So they're trying to uh, make a disease-tolerant orange, a disease-tolerant tree, and better orange juice.
0: But in the meantime, are we looking at a world where orange juice becomes a lot more scarce?
5: We are, that's a possibility. I love a quote from the director of that group who says, we're in a race to save the citrus industry in Florida. And some say that they have as little as 10 to 15 years to come up with these solutions.
0: Daryl Fierce writes about wildlife and the environment for The Post. Now, one more thing from the Post's new gaming and esports section called Launcher.
6: I've been wanting to write a story about people with disabilities using video games to overcome adversity because I am also in a wheelchair and video games has been a great way for me to be competitive in a way I can't physically. That's reporter Miller. He
0: recently met a group of gamers that have disabilities and play competitively.
6: They told me, you know, how video games have really helped them through whatever issues they're going through. Some of the people that I talked to mentioned that video games really helped them reconnect with society in a way that they couldn't normally, because usually conversations revolve around what their disability is, whereas when they play games, it revolves around their ability in that game. So... Playing video games allows you to connect in a way that isn't physical and in a way where you don't have to see each other, so it kind of...
3: You're actually getting to know that person, that person's gaming ability or the way that they talk, then you develop into a friendship before you actually figure out, oh, what's wrong with this person or what's this person going through.
6: I met a gamer whose name was Jackson Reese, and he had recently lost both his arms and legs after being paralyzed in a motorcycle accident because he had contracted sepsis in the hospital. And he uses a device called a quad stick and that allows him to play video games in a way he had never thought possible after he lost his arms and legs.
3: It's all mouth-operated. like It's got different controls that you puff and sip on. And you move, it's all head movement and everything like that to control your character, what you're doing.
6: One of the things I learned in reporting the story is I think there's a little bit of social anxiety attached to it because you can't do everything that everyone else can. So video games combat feelings of social isolation and even depression by allowing them to do things that they normally wouldn't be able to to do in real life.
3: I can't run in real life, so I'm able to run in the game. So I always make little Forrest Gump comments and everything. And I just try to throw in my sense of humor and everything like that with it because yeah, you can't run and jump and laugh and stuff like that. So you can run and jump off of a building and scream, ah, oh, my legs. It cracks you up a little bit to give you a little bit more humorous, to keep you from
6: depressed and stuff. My name's Roxy Stallenberg, and um, my gamertag is Rocky No Hands. Rocky No Hands is paralyzed from the neck down after he suffered a pretty bad fall when he was 19. And since then, he's Perfected being able to play video games very well with a quad stick, which he only uses his mouth to control and is able to do so many things that even I couldn't even do playing video games with full control of my hands.
3: There's always a way to do something if you can't do it. And uh, you don't have to be great at it because it's fun. You just got to make sure
6: that you're having fun. Rocky Nohans says has definitely inspired a lot of people just reading through his Twitch channel comments and people are really inspired by that because he's not letting his disability define him and he's still doing all these amazing things in the video game world and watching Rocky No Hands compete in the way he does despite his disability can help put things into perspective for people and help them do the same thing and get past their own adversity and, and play the games despite what they're going through. Hawken Miller writes about gaming and esports.
0: That's it for today's show. Thanks for listening. There have been some really interesting conversations in the Post Reports Facebook group. One listener, Chaz, posted about last week's story on the fight for gender-neutral Spanish and started a discussion about other languages that have tried to change gendered grammatical structures. We'd love for you to get in on the conversation. Join the group at facebook.com slash groups slash Post I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.